It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. I'm Jake Lisko, one of your hosts, along with James Rapine, the other one of your hosts. You can find us on Twitter at Jake underscore NFL and at James Rapine. Follow us individually on Twitter and follow the podcast at Locked On Bengals for your daily updates on what's going on with the Cincinnati Bengals. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. James, how does it feel to have done five episodes in one week? Because uh, nothing's happening yet. Training camp, rookie is supposed to be in town, what, this weekend? Is it? Are we there? It's the 21st. Is it the 21st yet? No, not yet. So early next week, they will, uh, they're scheduled to report to Paul Brown Stadium. And aren't they coming in actually like the day before something to get their, their tests done? Or, or is it the 21st that they do their tests? I think it's the 21st that they do their tests because they report and they do all that. But maybe they come in a day early, which would make sense. Get them in a day early, do the physicals, do all the administrative stuff, sign yeah. the contracts, mm-hmm. and uh, and get that stuff out of the way. Yeah, a lot of people have been asking, should we be worried that – you know, they haven't signed any of these deals yet. The Browns have signed all their rookies at this point, and the Bengals have been consistent on this. They're just not signing guys who they haven't have physicals yet, and they're only doing the physicals in their facility. So we should start to see some of this happen with the players starting to show up soon, but that is not where we're starting our show. In fact, we might not talk about any of those topics today outside of this open. What we are going to talk about coming up in just a minute here is we're going to take a look At A.J. Green's future, the Bengals and and Green didn't come to a long-term arrangement. We talked about that yesterday. But is that really for the best for the team? Putting aside emotional attachments and fanhoods for A.J. Green, and I sympathize with those to a great extent, is it better for the team? And what can we expect from A.J. Green at this point in his career? After we talk about some of that and get that analysis done, and on the record, James, for me anyway, in what will surely be the most disparaging remarks I've ever made about A.J. Green's football outlook in my life, we will get into the mailbag. And we've got some questions from the good listeners for segments two and three. But before we get to the mailbag that we always do on Fridays, we are going to start by taking a look at A.J. Green's outlook. James, you're going to argue, I believe, 
that AJ Green is a better player than Chad Johnson and TJ Hushmanzada, who are the last and only players in Bengals history to eclipse the 1,000 receiving yard mark in their careers when they were 30 years old or older. TJ did it in 2007, his age 30 season, when he had 112 catches for over 1,100 yards, and Chad did it in 2009 when he was 31. He had 72 catches for over 1,000 yards. A.J. Green, the last time we saw him for a full season in 2017, had 75 catches for 1,070-some yards. So in A.J.'s last healthy season, 2017, he played 16 games and had essentially the same production as Chad in his age 31 season. Now, going into his age 32 season, what are realistic expectations for A.J. Green? 1,000 yards. Ten touchdowns. If he's healthy, and and that's the question. To me, it isn't about talent here. And I don't know if he's a better player than Chad. Chad's my favorite player in Bengals history. But he is a smarter player than Chad Johnson. A.J. Green is an extremely intelligent football player. So this idea that he can't evolve, and instead of being the, the high point athlete that he was in the early 2010s, he can evolve into more of a slot receiver that, that changes his game a little bit. He's a really good route runner, an underrated blocker, much stronger than he looks. So I, I don't have any doubt here that A.J. Green could be that type of player. And, and another thing, in 2010, and I know it was an awful season, T.O., if he didn't miss the final two games because of injury, and I say that in quotes because he wasn't really hurt, if that didn't happen, he would have had 1,000 yards. And if Chad came back that year without T.O., and they didn't both. They weren't both there. Then Chad would have done it again. So I don't think it's crazy to think that with Joe Burrow under center, who should be better than AJ Green, that AJ or, or better than Andy Dalton was uh, over the past couple of years, to see AJ Green reach that 1,000 yard mark again. I think it's realistic. Now, if he only plays 10 games, unrealistic and not going to happen. But if he plays 14 to 16 games, I think he gets there. The last time that he went over 1,000 yards, of course, like I just said, 2017, that's now three years ago, James, the last time he played a full season. The year before that, 2016, might have been one of his best years. Through only 10 games, he had 964 yards. He was averaging 96 yards per game that year before he went down with that injury. In his career, though, he's averaging 80 yards per game, and in order to get to 8,000 yards at 80 yards per game, if he manages to sustain that, by the way, Uh, The last time he did that, again, 2016, 2014, he averaged 80 yards per game, took 13 games to get to 1,000 yards. So if he gets back to a level of production we haven't seen from A.J. Green since 2016, which is now four years ago, then he would need to play 13 games healthy to get to 1,000 yards if he maintains his career averages. Of course... That assumes that there isn't an increased market share for guys like Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins, John Ross, who you're also high on this year in Ross's case and in Boyd's case in particular. So given what's around him, I think that A.J. Green, even if he plays all 16 games, might be in more of a supporting role than Bengals fans might expect. And a lot of this is going to be because he's going to be 32 years old this year. The last time he played at a high level was in his age 28 season. Not to say that he wasn't good in 2017. He had 1,078 yards and eight touchdowns, but his averages of yards per game, yards per catch, all career lows. I love John Ross. I don't hide that. Tyler Boyd's my guy. 
He's the next time I see him, I can't wait to shake his hand because I didn't get to say goodbye when I went to Cleveland to cover the Indians. That being said, AJ Green's never the supporting actor when it's Tyler Boyd, AJ Green, and John Ross. He's the he's that dude. He's still that guy. Uh, I when I talked with Ross a couple of months ago, uh, he still believed in him and thought he was that elite type wide receiver. And it, you're right though; it doesn't mean that he's going to put up 1,500 yards. But but I do think if, if he plays 13, 14 games, he's going to hit that 1,000 yard mark, regardless of what Tyler Boyd or John Ross or any of the other wide receivers on this team what they do. AJ Green's still that dude in my eyes, and I think he'll get there. Here's the thing: I, I certainly hope he does. I think we've seen the slow start to decline for A.J. Green, and maybe it's been injury-related, maybe not. In 2017, when he did play a full season, he set a career low in yards per target. He set a career low in yards per game, and I believe in yards per reception at 14.4. Sorry, 2012, a little bit lower, 13.9. So since his second year, he set a career low, I guess, in yards per reception. And then in his most recent year, 2018, the last time he played, a little bit of a bounce back in terms of per game, per catch, per target efficiency, but that's 2018. So I, I do think that there's a chance that he goes out there and, and plays at a high level again, but 10 touchdowns, a thousand yards. He hasn't done that since 2015. So we're, we're going back five years for the last time he actually produced at the level that we associate with this skill level. Cause I don't question his skill level either. But it's indisputable that most NFL receivers that aren't Randy Moss or Terrell Owens start to see, or Larry Fitzgerald, I guess, start to see a significant drop-off in their early 30s. And I think that's something that Bengals fans need to keep in mind going into this season, that there is a distinct possibility that A.J. Green isn't a 1,000-yard, 10-touchdown player. He's an 800-yard, 7-touchdown player with the rest of the receivers picking up the slack. I would just be shocked if that's the case if he's healthy. Now, if he's banged up, if he's playing through injuries, if all of those things. But you're right. 2015 was the last time the Bengals offense was good. 2016, he was the only reason to watch him. You know, they couldn't even get Tyler Boyd and use Tyler Boyd effectively. And he was on pace for 1,800 yards through like six or seven weeks. And then obviously he gets injured and doesn't reach 1,000 yards for the first time in his career. Uh, 2017, he was fine. Uh, but, but obviously the team bat was bad. And one thing, again, that, that we have to remember here is he's tied to Andy Dalton. And one thing Andy Dalton really struggled with was going off script, dealing with the pressure, and the offensive line got significantly worse in 2016, 2017, and 2018. And that's when A.J. Green's stats dip some. So I think part of it is that. Now, I'm not going to downplay a year off, and it's not only a year off. It's zero time in team facilities this offseason, zero time to work out with Joe Burrow, that, those things matter. And so hopefully they have a full training camp and, and can really get in sync. But as far as the physical tools, I think he's smart enough to pick up the slack where he isn't as athletic as he was maybe a decade ago and still produce. So we'll see if it can happen. I, I think the key here is health. If he stays healthy, I'm certainly confident in A.J. Green being a, a big-time playmaker for the Bengals this season. Again, I really hope that's the case. I'm just saying there's a chance it's not. And we should be prepared for that because I always talk about ranges of outcomes, James, as you know. And I think that that's worth considering when you think about the floor for A.J. Green in 2020. See, but I think the floor is based on his health. And if he's healthy, I think it's reasonable to expect a thousand yards. 
My expectation's still high for AJ Green. The dude's making eighteen million, Jake. He he better play well this year. So, so you're just expecting no fall off whatsoever. You think he's gonna be exactly the same player he was when he was twenty nine years old in his physical prime? If he's ninety or ninety five percent of that, he should still have a thousand yards in this offense. Better quarterback, upgraded offensive line from the last time they were there. Second year in Zach Taylor's system. In twenty eighteen? That offensive upgraded line? Upgraded offensive line? From twenty eighteen. I think this is not a good offensive line. And it was awful in 2018. Better quarterback. Yeah. They I were 4-1 with him in 2018. He was a difference maker. You got a rookie quarterback now. And I know that Andy Dalton was a rookie quarterback in A.J. Green's rookie year. But A.J. Green was also young. And again, he was 23 in his prime. You know, that 23 to 29, that's, that's long gone for Green. That's all I'm saying is there's a chance that he starts to show signs of age because he has started to show signs of age in his last few last few seasons of play, and he's dealt with injuries. But I don't think that's age. I think that's, yeah, it's it's partially injuries. So AJ Green is immune to line. age. You heard it here first from James Rapine. Is that, that's what Green you're saying? Was, AJ Green was really good at the start of 2018, and okay. then he got hurt. I mean, he was 30. So that's two years ago. That's it. Okay, that's fine. But this idea that he's suddenly going to fall off a cliff, like 32 isn't that old. You know, what? you know what it is? It's because I just turned 32. I know how it feels. And, and you're what, 24, 21? How old are I'll you? I'll be 29 next month, man. Yeah. I'm okay, so there. give it three years and talk to me again. I will. All right. Let's get into some questions coming up next on the Lockdown Bengals podcast. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, James, I know you're eager for this mailbag because you want to argue with me some more. But before we get the opportunity to argue a little bit more, I think we can both agree that this is a pretty cool idea. The Bengal at the Bengal 4 on Twitter is hosting a charity fantasy football league where entry fees are donations to Joe Burrow's hunger relief fund. All you have to do is go to the website which he's got a link to, actually. We'll retweet it, donate, and show the Bengal your receipt, and you're in the league. The winner will get a trophy that the Bengals captain is going to make, and he might even do a prize pack. The Bengal might do a prize pack himself if he gets more than one league going. He apparently runs a lot of leagues and is really interested in getting this off the ground to support Joe Burrow's charity, which I think is a really cool initiative to combine fantasy football doing good in your community and keeping it all tied to the Bengals and the good that Joe Burrow is trying to do for Southeast Ohio. He does mention the minimum donation is $30. Some people have done more and he's invited James and I to join the league. James, what do you think? First off, I hope a lot of people join, send the receipts to us too. Just send it because I want um, to see how many people are joining so we can kick their ass in this league, Jake, because I'm competitive. I don't know if you know that about me. I'm very competitive. I haven't and complained I, I, about I that love, today at all, no. Uh-uh. I would love to look at, uh, all, or lock up all these Locked On Bengals listeners and whoop them in some fantasy football. I love fantasy football. And, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll be drafting A.J. Green because he's going to put up uh, 1K this year and, uh, and plenty of other players that, that win. So, yeah, it's, a, it's at the Bengal 4. 
And then obviously, like Jake said, we'll retweet it as well. But do it because, uh, one, it's a good cause. Two, you get to lose to me in fantasy football. Who doesn't want to do that? You're, you're going to have to uh, draft A.J. Green in the first round in a league full of Bengals fans, James, just so you know. Just so you know when you'll have. So last year, Joe and I did a fantasy league. We did a locked-on Bengals fantasy league. I beat Joe, but neither of us won the league. And you know what won the league? Joe did these weird settings. I let him make the settings. And he did these weird settings where defenses were the most valuable player. And the guy that oh. had New England's defense won the league. It was insane how many points New England's defense was good for in this league. Anyway, let's get to some of our questions. We will have plenty of time to talk about fantasy football. The first question we're going to take today comes from Tyler Lindsay at Tyler Lindsay 08 on Twitter. If you could redraft the 2011 NFL draft and you have the first three picks that are the same, Cam, Von Miller, J.J. Watt, who would you take fourth overall? Would it still be A.J. Green? And I think I know what James is going to say. Or would you consider Julio Jones, Tyron Smith, Patrick Peterson, or somebody else? Because that was a pretty good draft class. It's a great draft class. You know, it's, you really couldn't get it wrong uh, if you were the, the Bengals, the Cardinals, obviously, and then the Falcons. Here's the thing. Are we sure that in if the situations were flipped and A.J. Green was in Atlanta and Julio Jones was in Cincinnati – that AJ wouldn't be doing what Julio's doing in Atlanta. I'm not sure about that. I remember at the time thinking uh, there were a lot of fans that thought that they should trade that pick back and, and trade back and trade down a couple spots like Cleveland did to get a bunch of picks. Uh, and that resulted in Julio Jones for the Falcons. Now, I would stick with AJ Green. I don't think he's been the problem. I think it's it's pretty clear he's been their most valuable player over the past decade. I believe they're 66, 44, and 1 in regular season games when he plays. And 725 and one when they when he doesn't play. So he's been their MVP. I would have taken him fourth overall. And uh, who knows? Maybe he would have wanted to go to Atlanta in hindsight. But I'd keep him in Cincinnati. I'm going with AJ. Yeah, I, I think it's tough to argue with that. You could make an argument for Julio Jones, and yep. that's because Julio at this point in his career he he's a little bit younger, right? He's he's like a year or two younger than AJ, and he's still been productive he hasn't been missing time lately although he did miss a lot of time one year so there'd be some anxiety he's a year younger than aj he turned 31 in february so there are some reasons you could argue for julio jones here there's some reasons you could argue for tyron smith he has been a stalwart tackle since he's come into the league for the dallas cowboys jj watt actually went 11th and if we weren't pretending that he went third in the scenario for this question I think there's a really strong argument for J.J. Watt. But for me, yeah, I mean, you flip a coin between A.J. Green and Julio Jones. That's how a lot of people felt at the time. And there's very little to really separate them in their careers, except that Julio Jones, especially of late, has been a little bit healthier. Yep, that's it. That's really the only difference. Let's stick with the A.J. Green topic. AZ in Denver asks, do you let A.J. Green and Joe Mixon go via free agency and focus on draft picks and resources on the offensive line after this season? So here's the, here's the dichotomy, right, is from the one perspective, from a team-building perspective, yes, you let both of those players go because one of them is going to be a receiver who wants a three-year deal entering his age 33 season or maybe a four-year deal entering his age 33 season. And from a team-building perspective, that is a risk that I wouldn't want to embark upon if I was the Bengals. For Joe Mixon, I think you let him go unless you get a deal done that is in some ways similar to the Derrick Henry deal. If it's four years, $40 million with a way out after two years, 
or you you tie things to it, to health, you tie things to performance, then from a Bengals perspective, maybe it can make sense. But time and time again, it's been proven. You do not commit money to running backs. It does not work out for you. And the market for the Bengals is going to be a huge buyer's market. We had a lot of questions about the running back market in 2020, both in the draft and in free agency. And James, yesterday, you mentioned a large list of free agent running backs coming up in 2020 that could be equally as productive as Joe Mixon. So Joe Mixon is a very highly talented player. He just plays the wrong position for the NFL in 2020. You're right about it being a buyer's market. And that's the thing. If I'm Joe Mixon's agent, Peter Schaefer, I want to try to get a deal done this offseason because I just put up the list here. Dalvin Cook, Leonard Fournette, Aaron Jones, Alvin Kamara, Philip Lindsay, Marlon Mack, Kenyon Drake, and Todd Gurley all expected to hit free agency or scheduled to as of now. And then that doesn't include the draft, which Clemson's Travis Etienne would have been a first rounder this past year. And I butcher his last name all the time, but you get the point. Um, see, I'm on the other side of this Mixon thing. I would feel good about a four-year, $40 million deal. He doesn't have the the chronic issues that Todd Gurley had. And that's kind of the, the one that stands out. And the Rams went out of their way to pay a guy who they drafted with a torn ACL early. And they got burned. And, and, and I get it. Some of these... These running backs haven't um, had the return on investment or these teams haven't had the return on their investment at the running back position. But I think Mixon could be different, especially if it's at that four-year, $40 million, which, again, if I'm Peter Schaefer and the Bengals offer that, I'm probably telling Joe to take it. So to me, to get back to this question, I don't think you need to let either go. Assuming that the salary cap is going to be around what it is. It won't be. Next season. Yeah, but it, it might not be much off. Like they've been talking about doing it to where uh, you take $5 million or $6 million off the cap for the next six years, eight years to, to try to alleviate some of it. So let's just say that's the case because we don't, we don't know. It is an unknown and, and I'll preface it with that. If that's the case, the Bengals are going to have plenty of cap space. What you could do is you could sign Joe Mixon, which they want to do this offseason. And then if A.J. Green blows up and he wants this four-year deal, you don't have to give him a four-year deal. You could just tag him one more time. And see if he can be really, really good again. And then that's it. He would make $21.5 million if he got tagged again, which is 120% of what he would make this year. So he would make that in 2021. Then you have him for the rest of his prime because there's no way at 34 he's going to do what he would do at 32 and 33, even if he has a couple of big years. So the Bengals still have some control there in options. And they will have plenty of cap space. So it's a wait and see on AJ Green. I think they're going to push for a mix and deal. And if it's around four years, $40 million, I say go for it. I think that they will push for a mix and deal, but I answered the question of whether they should. I, I want Joe Mixon to get paid. So this is where it's a split thing for me is I want to see these guys get paid. But at the same time, I talk about it from that perspective and the perspective of what's the best allocation of resources for the team. And I'm not sure that a running back in an age 32 plus wide receiver is the best allocation of $28 million out of a cap that might be going down from its current about $200 million mark. Last question before the break, James, and this one's going to make you choose. You just said they don't have to choose, but if you had to, would you rather give AJ Green four years or give Joe Mixon four years? Mixon. I mean, four years is a long time, especially if we're talking about now that the deadline's passed, if you give A.J. Green four years, it doesn't even count this season. 
It's after this season. So it's age 33, 34, 35, 36. So unless A.J. Green is willing to take 10 or 12 or 13 million per, then maybe I'd be interested in that. And depending on what the outs and, uh, you know, the contract structure. But if it's a straight up, there's guaranteed money in each year of that deal. I, I would go the Joe Mixon route again. He hasn't had any serious injuries. He's 23 years old. Even if, and I know the Derrick Henry, there's an out after two years. Even if the Joe Mixon extension, there was an out after three years, that wouldn't scare me too much because he just doesn't have the history of some of these other guys. But yeah, you can't give AJ Green four years, even if he has a huge year. I'm not giving him four years after this season. You know what's interesting is even Christian McCaffrey's deal, the Panthers can get out of when he turns 27. So if the Bengals can get out of Joe Mixon's deal when he's 27, 28, then I feel a lot better about it. And if it's only four years, 40 million, and there's outs after two years, then it's fine. If it's like Derrick Henry's deal and there's outs, then it's fine. That's what I think we're going to see with running back deals is you're going to see that the the guaranteed money is in the beginning of the contract. You're not going to see huge prorated signing bonuses. They're going to find other ways to do it. And that will give the player some of that money in in the beginning of the contract. And if he stays healthy, he'll see the life of that deal. And and I I think that's the way that that position is just going to go, which is, you know, it's unfortunate in a lot of ways, but I I think it's the reality. I mean, you look at running back deals in this league. I mean, we talked about this a little bit yesterday. Derrick Henry is $12.5 million a year. Well, he's still making less than David Johnson and Le'Veon Bell. So, Kenyon Drake, $8.5 million a year. Melvin Gordon, $8 million a year. None of these sound like very attractive deals to me. And then you get to Austin Eckler at $6 million a year. I would love that deal. I would absolutely give Joe Mixon $6 million a year, right? You're going to have to give him a little (laughs) bit more. So if you get up to that $10 million a year mark, maybe that's okay. I I think I agree with you there. What would you rather do here? And this is my own mailbag question. Would you rather go um, four years... $32 $32 million completely guaranteed or four years, $45 million where most of it's guaranteed in the first two years and you can get out with a five or $6 million cap hit at the end. Definitely the latter. Really? Absolutely. Really? Cause it, Cause cause it, it doesn't, it doesn't change much and it locks up. It, it will lock him up through that 27 age 20 for basically the rest of his prime running back years but 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 if he's healthy and he's earning that money at the tail end of that deal that means he's still performing and and otherwise that means that you just have 14 million dollars of dead money if after two years he's not performing anymore okay so you'd so, rather the security yeah yeah just like earlier when we were talking about aj green when you look at history there, there's a very high risk that it goes sideways mm-hmm. after a couple of years and if it doesn't, great. Then you then you pay him a little bit more. By then, the salary cap has probably bounced back. You have a full year of revenues in 2022, so the salary cap has recovered, hypothetically, in my brain. And, and so the, that increased number becomes more tolerable. That's that's kind of where I'm coming from. Makes sense. It's, it's, just, it's an interesting debate. And, and last thing here, if running backs like Mixon – Take a four-year deal, two years out. Derrick Henry, same thing. If he exceeds expectations or plays up to those expectations and survives the length of that contract, we could see the market shift a bit. It's just teams have seen Todd Gurley. They've seen David Johnson, Le'Veon Bell, and it doesn't look good. And, and obviously that, that part of history is why it's trending the way it is. All right, we'll continue 
with your mailbag questions next right here on Locked on Bengals. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Let's keep things rolling here with our weekend mailbag. And Rocky Mountain Hooday on Twitter wants to know, do you see the Bengals secondary bringing more cover three this year with the addition of Von Bell? Or is it going to be a lot of what we saw last year with the single high safety? Yeah, so I answered this question on Twitter a little bit when I said that these aren't necessarily different things. When you see single high safety, that sets you up for cover one, cover three, just an odd coverage in the secondary. You're going to have Jesse Bates, middle of field, and if it's cover three, then you're going to have your boundary corners, William Jackson and Trey Waynes in thirds in the back half. So I don't think that it necessarily indicates a change. I think that Von Bell fits a lot of what they were doing last year with the single high safety, with the cover three, with the odd looks at the back end of the defense because Von Bell is predominantly going to be a box player. He has, uh, I would call it capable performance when he's used as a true secondary player and even looks in the, in the back half of the defense. So those cover fours, cover twos, cover six. But I think that he's going to be best employed, and we've talked about this a lot. He's a great run defender. He's a good tackler. And that's where he should be used. So Von Bell, they will mix up his role, I'm sure. But he's going to be like 60% a box player. So where does this come into question is, well, what if they go three safeties and they play more dime? Somebody pointed out, who was it this week, pointed out there's more dime defense played in the NFL right now than there is base defense in the NFL. Or it's very close. Maybe it's almost more dime than base. And so if the Bengals follow that pattern and they go three corners, three safeties for a big dime look, then you might see more two deep safeties with Von Bell or Sean Williams in the box, and those two pieces can be a little little interchangeable. So I don't think there's necessarily a difference between cover three and single high. If you're asking if there's going to be more cover two, I don't think Von Bell is necessarily that kind of two-way player at safety. I think that they really should and would benefit from him playing more in the box than they would with him playing deep. I agree with that. And I think you get Von Bell around the line of scrimmage. You let him try to make plays on the ball and, and hopefully force turnovers. He was in the right spot, right time last year with fumble recoveries. You hope he can do it again and make an impact. Next question comes from Juicy Jake. Joe likes to call him my cousin, but there's no relation. He wants to know who will be the next Bengals players to get an extension from the offensive side and the defensive side of the football, James. I think this is easy. We, we already talked about one, Joe Mixon. Joe Mixon, Joe Money Mix. I, I think he's, uh, he's going to get paid this offseason. Maybe I'm dead wrong. Maybe it doesn't happen. I think it would be a mistake, by the way. Think about it. In the modern NFL, we just talked about how devalued running backs are and how loaded the 2021 free agent class is. If I'm Peter Schaefer, Joe Mixon's agent, who used to represent Adam Pacman Jones, by the way, so he's dealt with the Bengals before, I would do everything in my power to get a deal done now because the Bengals want to get it done now. Mixon clearly willing to, to take the money. Don't risk an injury. Don't risk any of that. 
go the Tyler Boyd route, lock it in after three years, uh, and feel good about yourself. So I'll say Joe Mixon on offense. And on defense, there's a couple options here. Carl Lawson entering the final year of his deal. If he performs well, I could totally see them trying to keep him around long term. But knowing how the Bengals prioritize the cornerback position, knowing that he played through injuries last year and he's entering the final year of his deal, I think William Jackson III is going to have a big year this year. We talked about their upgrades in the secondary. We've done that a lot. I think he'll benefit. I think he'll maybe not be as dominant as he was in 2017, but I think he's going to be really good this year. And so I think he'll earn a contract extension, and he's certainly a franchise tag candidate next offseason if they're unable to reach a long-term deal if he plays well. Yeah, you think about the offensive side of the ball, and who would it be if it's not Joe Mixon? Like, who who else is even – like, it might be John Ross, you could say. Is there anybody else on the offensive side of the ball that's coming up for an extension that that's noteworthy? I can't really think of anybody. All the offensive linemen are on their deals or should be on their way out. Tyler Boyd's locked up. Auden Tate is going into his third year, right? So it's not time for him yet. But on the defensive side of the ball, I think Jesse Bates could be an early extension candidate. I think they mm-hmm. really like him. That's a good and one. I, I think that you could see some of that. I'm not so sure that this coaching staff likes William Jackson. And and that's totally speculative on my part. It's just a feeling that I have. I, I think they should extend William Jackson. James talks about how I love corners so much, and I do like William Jackson. Uh, I, I don't think that necessarily solves the future at corner. I think that corner is still a need in the 2021 season, even if they do extend Jackson. But I do think that Jesse Bates is a potential early extension candidate. Could it be? And I'm just trying to think out the, outside the box here. What about, and I know we're going to bring him up at some point, Darius Phillips after this year? Because this would yeah. be after year three. If they don't extend any of these other guys, maybe he's the corner. Even if they tag, let's say they tagged William Jackson the third, maybe they extend Darius Phillips in, say, February next year. Yeah, I could see that. And and you'd get one of those kind of minor extensions. You could get like a Josh Tupo extension. Uh, extension. You could get, uh, you mentioned Carl Lawson. So you could get one of those uh, role player types. If Josh Vines only signed a one-year deal, if he proves to be a valuable addition, maybe they give him another two-year deal. I don't know. He's He's getting up there in age a little bit, too to the point where I don't know if he's going to get a big multi-year deal for the rest of his career. James, let's finish up with a couple of fun questions. Bengals BOK on Twitter wants to know, what are your favorite movies of all time? Oh, this is a tough one. This is a tough one. All right. So I'll name one sports movie, hard to beat the Sandlot. So I'll start there from a baseball standpoint. That's my favorite baseball movie. This is a football podcast. Remember the Titans is the best mm-hmm. football movie sure is. of all time. Yep. And uh, and then I'll go a little sappy here. I love The Pursuit of Happiness. It's still on Netflix okay. through the, the end of July. Uh, so if you haven't seen it yet with Will Smith, I love that movie. So, so right. I'll go with those three. All right. I like those answers. I'm with you on, on the Remember the Titans being my favorite sports movie, period. That, that was a great great sports movie i don't like most sports movies i I like sports a lot but i find that the the hollywoodization the this i don't know what the word is the the movie the the dramatization that's the word of of sports for movies is often pretty disappointing i really liked inception i really like shutter island yeah i really like uh christopher nolan generally speaking um, I really liked Casino to go for some of the older ones. Uh, uh-huh. What's the one 
Collateral? Is that the the Jamie Fox? Uh, yeah. Yeah, that, I believe that's, so. a, that's yeah. a good one. Taxi Driver is another old one that I really like. Uh, but for some of the some some other newer ones, oh man, I had a bunch in my mind that have just vanished as we've been recording. They're gone. They're gone. Can't remember <laughs> them. Uh, but you, you, I think you get the idea of the genre of movie I like from my answer there. Yeah, I, I do. And and I'm from what you said, I agree with pretty much all of them. Uh, one more sports movie uh, because I haven't hit basketball yet. Coach Carter. Sure. Give me some Coach Carter. Love it. All right. Last question, James. Uh, somebody wanted to know Austin Coleman. There it is. Austin Coleman five on Twitter. Do you also root for the Reds? If not, what other sports are you into James? Oh, I, I absolutely root for the Reds. I have a, uh, Ken Griffey jr. Sports illustrated from when he came back. I, I told you about this a couple weeks ago, Jake. I found this on eBay. It's an uh, issue from 2000 when he, the Reds traded for him and they signed him to that $108 million extension. And, um, so I found it on eBay for like $5. Now it's hanging in my office along with some other stuff. Um, but yeah, huge Reds fan, uh, covered them briefly while I was in Cincinnati. Um, the, the first time, but it, uh, it's hard not to root for the Reds. I, I really wish they would have won more in, in the two thousands. And by the way, my favorite Reds team of all time, just because, uh, the 1999 Reds, when they went 96 and 66 and lost in the one game playoff to the New York Mets, I still hate Al Leiter. And that's, uh, that's my story. I, uh, I was watching that, uh, the playoff series when they were up two zero on the Giants. Ah, uh, yeah. I was I was watching on there. There this there's this big projector at my former employer's. There, there were many of these, but but I I went to one of the rooms with one of these giant projectors and hooked up my laptop and I watched, I watched one of those games at work. That was a really hard year. Yeah, no, I'm a Reds fan as well. I think this year is pretty exciting. I love what they've done in terms of revamping their coaching staff and, and leaning into analytics a little bit more. You guys all know that I would nerd out for that stuff, and that's really fun for me. I think some of their acquisitions have been very interesting. Nick Castellanos is going to absolutely rake in Great American Ballpark. Uh, I think it's a shame that they're only going to get 60 games this season in a lot of ways because they finally went in in a big way in acquiring some free agents and, and, and they're rewarded with a 60 game season. So it could be to their benefit, but you know, for Reds fans, I think that you're getting deprived of what could have been a really fun 162 game season this year. So hopefully some of these guys stick around. Trevor Bauer made his desire to only do one year deals forever known. And hopefully they can keep a core together for a few years to give Reds fans something to get excited about again for the first time in about a decade. Totally agree. Totally agree. I love the rotation. I covered Trevor last year. Really odd guy, but really dedicated to his craft. And so uh, I think he can help them. I really like the rotation. You, you mentioned Castellanos, and, and then they, they go get Akiyama. Extremely aggressive. And, and you people that listen and, to this and, podcast. Uh, the second baseman, uh, Moose? No. Yeah. Mike yeah. Moustakas. Yeah, yeah, Mike, Mike Moustakas. Moustakas. Yep. Yeah, I get, yeah, I get I mean, him confused with uh, with with his former Royals teammate Eric Hosmer all the time for some reason. <laughs> well, well, but but that's the thing is they were aggressive and they had been ramping up. I I know General Manager Dick Williams was slowly getting to this point and they went for it. And, and I, I would not be shocked at all if they make another trade or two before the the deadline, even though it's a weird season, and really push. And, and I hope at some point fans can maybe get to the ballpark, but I, I certainly hope the Reds are successful this year because the, the fans in Cincinnati deserve it. The fans in Cincinnati deserve so much. It's a good thing. They have us. Um, 
I hope. That's going to do it for this episode of the Locked on Bengals podcast. Next week, we might have contracts to report, folks. So stay tuned for that as the Bengals appear to be gearing up for training camp. That's just a a little bit over a week away at this point. Until then, Bengals fans, who day and have a good one. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.